Frank this morning. It's been an interesting dilemma up here in the top suite of the Venetian, I gotta say. And uh, we decided that um, it would be kind of interesting to talk about developer setup. Specifically, I get a lot of questions around Mac or PC. And yes, we're doing it, the Mac versus PC debate. Are you ready to do this? I can't believe we're doing this. This is this sounds insane to us. Uh, please send all feedback to James at Mott's Codes. He'll, he'll be happy to read it all. <laughs> well, I, so I thought it would be interesting. You know, I actually was doing a demo yesterday in, in Washington, D.C. I'm actually back in Vegas now, and I demo a lot from my PC. And I had an interesting experience where I was doing everything on a Mac yesterday. I said, I'm going to use Visual Studio for Mac because I was at a developer's conference. I wanted yeah. to show things in Android Studio and Xcode. Uh, and I also kind of felt like that was kind of the normal developer setup if you're doing iOS or Android development in a nutshell. So it, it kind of made me feel more comfortable speaking to that audience. So I, I kind of wanted to adjust yeah. my setup for that. Have you ever ran into, into that at all? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm in a privileged position where I can basically pick and choose uh, exactly what I want to use. But and and I do do work from time to time on contract, you know, that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's on Windows. And so I'm generally a Mac person, you know, I've been a Mac person for quite a while now. But I still use Windows once a week, probably. And so I have to keep my skills up and uh, keep all the f- updates updated, you know, <laughs> like managing lots of stuff. Yeah, I thought that it would be interesting to unpack is what do we like best about the operating systems? What do we not like best about the operating systems? But how does that actually impact our day-to-day development? So a key for me, right, in in the world of Windows has to be the updates, right? I think that one thing that caught me for a loop the other day is not only is Visual Studio updating, all of our other tools are updating, but at the same time, Windows is updating frequently, which is good, right? We like security updates. Sure. But things update and they reboot your computer randomly it's not okay no no i i think we all know what we're talking about here this is the you wake up in the morning and none of your apps are running none of your documents are open and windows has a little message like hey i helpfully rebooted your computer last night and shut down all your apps isn't that great for me and you're like no you son of a (laughs) um but you know it's not just microsoft's problem they're the ones that aggressively reboot and i think that's the absolute worst feature on the planet but uh even Mac has gotten bad in the update world. There's pretty much always a reminder in my upper right telling me to update because I never do. Yeah, uh, I, I feel it's like it's like do you do you want to update now or do you want me to remind remind you to tomorrow? Like the, I like how there's no option for don't remind me again. It's like oh just yeah. remind me tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It's like, should I remind you in one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or for the rest of your life? And you're just like, oh, God, update, just update. Yeah. uh, So why don't we like to update? No one likes to shut down their apps. Um, When we walk up to a computer, you expect the computer to serve you to do, you know, to be able to actually do some work on the computer and not you serving the computer. I think that's like, at the lowest level, that's what I hate about it. Like, you're a tool for me. Why didn't you update last night? And then well, then we're in this circular argument of then it has to restart all your apps. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and and you're in the middle of it. I remember whenever I go and I, I I see when I was whenever I would walk over to the sales division or even to Joseph's computer, or Miguel's computer, they have like 118 tabs open and like a thousand <laughs> windows open. I'm like, you just can't reboot that machine. It's not it's not even ready. And and I understand the frustration. I was literally updating Xcode, which is a pain in the butt uh, if you're doing uh, it through the App Store. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so back in the day, um, let's let's start the breakdown of Mac versus Windows here. But one of the things I love most about the Mac is how apps don't really need to be installed. You just drag them into the applications folder, double click them, and there they go. Yes. But yeah, but then came along the App Store, and that kind of really changed the model. Uh, which is kind of fun because during the beta summer with Xcode, you actually get back to those simple downloads and you just drag it into the folder and you just run it and it's super sweet and super simple. I, I remember yeah. I remember the very first time I started as Xamarin, I'd never had a Mac before. I always thought it was too bubbly, thought it was too <laughs> Win- Windows XPE. Mm-hmm. I still think it is, to be honest with you. And uh, I remember downloading, I think I was downloading Xamarin, not Xamarin for the first time, because I had done that. Because I had I had installed it before, I think, when I was doing iOS work at Seton. But it was kind of one of these things where I, it was, the, like, the Xamarin thing had a full installer, right? So it's like, I'm going to download this stuff, yeah. you double-click it. And I remember the first app, maybe it was Dropbox or, or Google Drive or something, mm-hmm. where you had to, like, it's like, here's the icon, drag it into there. And I was like, what are you, what? What are you talking what? about? What, what? How does this thing work? I was so confused. I think I went on Slack and I was like, how, and I took a screenshot. And I was like, how do I install this? Like, or Google that, like, how do I install this app? I don't get it. And they're like, and then I was like, how do I delete this app? And they're like, oh, um, yeah. drag it to the trash can. I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. Well, actually, in a lot of ways, it doesn't make sense. I think uninstalling Mac apps has always been kind of a problem um, because they can litter your computer with files all over the place. There's this infamous folder in Mac called application support, which is just a uh, dumping ground <laughs> for all apps, random data, anything they feel like downloading from the internet and throwing on there. I mean, there's probably some torrents in there. God knows. But <laughs> now, now, are apps allowed to do that when when they're downloaded from the app store? Like, because they're sandbox, right? So I want to make a clear differential that there's apps that you download from the internet and there's apps that you download from the app store. And I always thought the idea of downloading from the app store, just like from the Windows app store, same concept, right? It's like, if you download out in the wild, it's going to do whatever it wants. Like, I have a blog post on my blog that literally tells you how to clean up both your Mac and PC as a Xamarin developer. And I did this on Heather's computer and uh, save 25 gigs on her PC. <laughs> just, just ran a few little you know commands that delete a bunch of folders that you don't need. Just random yeah. crap. So so is that is that how Mac works? Then is it is it sandbox that way? Yeah, and and that's pretty much its only gateway is this application support folder of getting outside of its sandbox. Uh, so you're absolutely right what you described. The App Store gives you two benefits. Uh, one is you're guaranteed that the app will be signed by a developer. And I don't know what that gives you other than some like trustworthiness that like no one's trying to hack your machine or slip some crazy stuff into the app, something like that. But then on top of that, you get the sandbox, which is a fantastic feature. It's kind of killer for devs. There's so many apps I want to write that don't quite fit into the sandbox, but you know, you, you find ways to work around it. But the normal way out of the sandbox, <laughs> there's no way out. <laughs> the only files that lets you access are in this application support directory and any files someone specifically opens in the app. So that's why that's why everyone throws everything in there. It's just how it how it is. So Windows, um, so if I download a Windows Store app, those are all sandboxed also. I don't think there's any way out of that sandbox, right? Um, there's probably APIs to do. So you, you kind of have your own private registry from my understanding. And then if you're in there, you have files, but they're all kind of in your app container, right? You can pick stuff 
and you can you can invoke and say like, oh, I have this photo, I want to put it into this public library, but you can only access certain libraries, and then you have to get permission from your users. So there's like settings, right, that you can do this. Very similar to iOS, which is well, I have access to my app directory, and yeah, I have certain permissions if I have access to the photo library that maybe I could uh, take a photo and then put it there, right? So mm-hmm. it's that permission-based structure. Um, I'm pretty sure on Android it doesn't really, they don't let you just do whatever, like whatever. Well, you have to have, but, but, you have, yeah. you have Sorry, external but, permissions. Yeah, interesting. I, it is like how iOS does it, because there are a few of these libraries or databases, whatever services that you can access. But I always wonder, like, you just can't get to, like, C colon backslash, in a in a win Windows Store app, right? It's just I, you don't have access to it. I don't think so. I think I think you not. I don't think so. I think then you're looking at a WPF application, right? You want to install sure. this and get access right. to everything. Um, I mean, someone could write in and tell us that we're completely wrong and that we're bonkers because I mean, the amount of UWP work is not really a file based system because whenever I'm storing right. things, I'm storing my app's data and that's what I want to do. And the thing that's nice there is that when you just say, oh, save this file it's just to my local storage, it just handles it for you. Unlike back in the day where you're like, all right, like I'm going to like, do I put it in like the app data folder in the program files? Like yeah. do I put it in, yeah. in my user's data? Like, where do I put this thing? There's like a thousand places to put it, you know? I should uh, we we should harp on that for a minute. Um, since we are cross-platform developers, the isolated storage that's available in .NET that works everywhere. That works in iOS. Oh, you know what? Does it work in Android? Let's assume it works in Android. Works in Windows, of course. That's where it was invented. And so it's this nice, simple little file system without maybe technically using the file system. Who knows how it's implemented? It's just a black box. Uh, but that's pretty cool. But I, I want to get back to the Mac versus Windows. <laughs> yes. Well, and specifically, I kind of want to talk about the productivity on a day-to-day basis because I feel like whenever I see you code, it's all command line, keyboard shortcuts, uh, magic. I feel like that's the Mac developer. Am I wrong? I don't know. Um, you know, something that drew me to the Mac was that it was a Unix system. And the fact that that command line existed. I guess I started out in DOS days. I was not a Unix user, but I started out in DOS and I was very comfortable in DOS after years. And then my first job, I did work on Unix. It was a HP UX machine. If any of our listeners are old enough to have used one of those back when Hewitt Packard used to make stuff. And it was, um, I learned a lot there. I learned all the 1970s tech, basically. I learned Motif, the uh, old window manager for X. I learned Lestif so I could run at home because Motif was too expensive. I learned all the low-level uh, compilers, all their command switches. I learned assembly programming that's irrelevant, but I just had to brag. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, If you're not doing assembly programming, I mean, are you a programmer? That's right, you know. Uh, and if you're not using VI in a Unix session, are you really a programmer? The answer I'm is definitely yes, not a programmer. You are. I don't, I don't, no, you are. <laughs> I don't want to be that pro. I told you the, the story is when I first started working at Seton, I was the only person that used Windows and Visual Studio. Everyone else was in this huge Vim session because they're doing like low level oh, yeah. Linux and it's just this big black monitor on this beautiful iMac. You know what I mean? It's just this <laughs> right. black and white text and that's it. It just like blew my mind. Like, who are you people? They're hilarious. They'll, they'll like split the screen. So, you, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm creating divisions in this podcast. But anyway, you can like split the screen. They're like, look, you can have two buffers open. And then I'm like, command N. And I'm like, look, another terminal, command N. Look, another one, command N, 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 N. You can just create, keep creating terminals. 
Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they're very proud of their 1970s tech, and that tech was very good, good enough that obviously it survived 40 years. But um, I like to use the command line only because... Um, you know, this is weird, too, because I, I yell at a lot of people for not using GUIs. I really am a GUI person. So when you say I use the command line a lot, it's funny because I know I do. But at the same time, I try to use it less and less. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like the I remember Rich um, Lander, who's the, the PM of .NET, he, he tweeted out one time. He goes, he goes, oh, should I? Uh, there's a bunch of new templates for .NET new, blah, blah, blah. He's like, mm. what should we add? And I go, add them to the IDE because yeah. I'm like, I need I need to, I don't want to go to a, a command prompt. But um, yeah. it's interesting because, I mean, I fall back to the, the command prompt often, but I feel as though whenever a seasoned veteran such as like miguel comes to my computer he just the first thing he'll do is like open a terminal session put it he'll hit the green button which is the expand button to full screen so you you can't get out of it and he's like here we go (laughs) and he'll like he'll like develop an entire ios application to publish to the app store via the (sighs) command prompt i don't know it's very i remember in the early days of xamarin watching him write all his apps in uh, he's an Emacs guy, though, I, I, I believe. I don't want to get this wrong. It's important. <laughs> uh, yeah. Command commander? Oh, that's yeah, that's e. his file manager. That's how file he manager. Mani- yeah, manages everything. Uh, no, I'm a GUI person. You know, I saw Windows 3.1 and I said, this is better than DOS. I saw Visual Basic and I said, this is way better than uh, command line compilers for C++. And I basically never dropped that. In fact, when I switched to the Mac, it was basically because I think the Mac did GUIs better. And now we're going to get all the Mac did GUIs first, all that stuff. But, you know, you take something like drag and drop. I just think that drag and drop is more well-baked throughout the entire Mac OS than it is in Windows. Fewer things in Windows are drag and droppable than they are on Mac. A lot of the default controls in Mac, uh, there's this one called an image well. It's a terrible name, but it's basically a little placeholder where if you need an app that takes an input image, people can just drag images into that part of the app. Whereas in Windows, it was always like a browse button, then you use the stupid file browser, and it's just life in the file browser. (laughs) It always just felt more drag and droppy, like they really... They were really trying to make it, I don't know, graphical. <laughs> yeah. Different. I, I feel like the one thing about Mac that has existed throughout the years is that if you learn to use Mac OS, you always know how to use Mac OS. And at the same time, Mac OS will run really well on nearly every single device. I mean, if you were to buy like a, a Mac Mini from 2006 i bet it still actually runs really good we're in, in the world of windows like i feel like we're changing it and i say we because I, I work at microsoft right and i'm not in the windows division nor do i know but they're changing a lot of things all the time and i think that frustrates people as far as a familiarity to things and and this actually goes to the core development of when we talked about our apps of changing functionality and moving things around where we recently just restructured some of the the Android um, properties in Visual Studio 2017, where you right click and go to properties of the project and like they changed oh. everything. And I'm like, I, I can't, I don't even know where it's at. And I'm like, I'm like after six years where it's always been there, like, but it's for the greater good. And I go, but I don't know how to do anything anymore. You know, so I think yeah, that's what on Mac, I always felt like the same maneuver, right? Of always, you can drag and drop. There's the finder, like here's the, the settings. Like the settings has always been the same in the last six years that I've ever found it. And I know exactly where to go when I want to um, go to my Wi-Fi or when I, when I want to go to my sound, right? I don't need to look in a thousand places and, and it mostly just works. 
You're talking about the control panel, aren't you? <laughs> the, the setting screen, the setting screen that sometimes lets you get to the control panel, but you can't. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Mac's been very nice and consistent. We've had these uh, little red, yellow, and green buttons in the upper left. The green one's changed what it's done over the years, but in general, the Mac has always had a uh, menu bar at the top of the screen and these red, yellow, and green buttons on every window. That's kind of the standard. Uh, Windows has gotten a little weird, I think, in the present. Number one, you have this mix of um, the UWP apps and the native, <laughs> native, Win32 apps. <laughs> yeah, there you um, go. The old-fashioned apps, let's call them that. The oldies. Notepad. Uh, <laughs> I love Notepad, still, by the way. Yeah, that that one hasn't been UWP'd, huh? Mm, way to not dog food. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I th- the title bar, uh, all the Chrome treatment. We can't even use that word anymore, but the Chrome. Everything that's not inside the app, that thing changes very quickly in the Windows world. Where they still try to keep backwards compatibility, though, like the Explore window in Windows, it does not have the old app icon in the top left of the title bar, as anyone who's used Windows for the years has known. The app icon's always in the top left of the bar, and it's there because there's a menu on it, and you can click it, and it has options no one ever uses, but it's there. Well, they took that icon away in Explorer, but oddly enough, you can still click in the top left corner because they kept the menu there because they wanted (laughs) to keep reverse compatibility. So that's nice. It's, um, I think that there is a core thought of, you know, not breaking APIs, not breaking apps, not breaking core things in Windows. But at the same time, uh, the UI people are allowed to do pretty much whatever they want, it seems, (laughs) and just change it on every version. Especially yeah, and, when it comes to the start menu. Oh, yeah. I think that maybe they finally figured it out. I, I don't know. I feel as though it, it's like, when I want to go open something, there's this little applications in my favorites. And I'm like, there it is, right? Or like command um, command space, right? Spotlight search I use all the time. I don't use any other plugins. I don't like to use things on top of things. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the system default should be good enough. And when you do a spotlight search, I'm like, I'm going to type in Xcode. And like, guess what? Xcode opens up, right? And it, it's really fast enough. And I know people will say, well, why don't you hit the start menu and start typing something? I'm like, that's exactly what I do. I remember when they made the switch to Windows 8 and everything was way different. Like, I can't find anything. Why don't you just hit Windows and then start typing? And guess what? It will totally find it. But it wasn't transparent enough. I mean, I think that that's the yeah. spotlight search is there. And when you hit when you hit that, right, when I hit Windows and I start typing, then the command like then the typing thing comes up you know what i mean and maybe it's not and then cortana's like hey i'm here and i'm like go away (laughs) i don't need i don't need need an assistant on my desktop go away like poor siri is up in the top Ooh, exit Ooh, oh oh she's trying to talk to me um okay so yeah they moved yeah She's right. Uh, they, they moved Cortana into the main taskbar, if I remember, because they're trying to tell people, hey, hey, search, 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 search. You can't find anything in the start menu. It's ridiculous now. You're going to need to search. And yeah, yeah. well, actually, I, 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 I'm going to make a little complaint. So you mentioned a <laughs> command space on the Mac is spotlight. And the moment you press command space, you just start typing and eventually it searches and finds the thing. Great. On Windows, you hit the Windows key and start typing. And you know what happens? It pauses for a second, waits for the window to come out, misses the first character or two you typed, fills in the rest, fails to search because the search keys off of the first characters for some ungodly reason, and then nothing works. And then and it tells you to go search the internet. It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Like it, I'm constantly tidy, typing in Oatpad. I'm like, no, I don't want Oatpad. I want Notepad. But 
well, you know, someday like, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you know, it's kind of, you know, we may be, you know, getting a little bit deep into the, the, the nuances of the actual operating hmm. systems, but as a developer, sure. th- these are things that I'm doing all the time. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's how I wanted to frame this, this conversation is like, as a developer, what should I do? And I want to come back to the, the core root of, Hey, I'm in, I'm a cross-platform developer, you know, yeah. what machine is right for me. I ha- I'm a Windows person. You are a Mac person. I'm a little bit of a Mac person. And I have very strong feelings of one way or the other. But let's <laughs> take a quick break in our, in our, and cool down um, with some beautiful controls from our favorite, uh, one of our favorite sponsors of Merge Conflict. You know them. You love them. Frank loves them. I love them. I use them personally. It's Syncfusion. You know Syncfusion. They make beautiful controls and charts and graphs and PDFs and Excel and Word and everything that you can imagine controls for every single operating system in programming language that you can think of. I was actually just looking through their website for some of their new Xamarin form stuff and I, and I pulled into this sunburst chart because I love the charts and graphs that they have. And these are brand new. They have like these crazy spirally bursting like charts. You know, we see cool visualizations. Um, you see all these like crazy, like, you know, people put tons of time into these visualizations of, of, um, Statistics, guess what? Syncfusion has everything for you. Charts, graphs, the sunburst thing is bananas. But they have other controls too, like, you know, pull to refresh, you know, spinners, loaders, all that stuff that you can imagine. Um, and you don't have to, you know, create the stuff yourself. You just drag and put in the, the nougats from Syncfusion and you're off to the races using their beautiful um, controls and charts and everything you can imagine. And they don't support just Xamarin. They support Xamarin, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, ASP.NET, Windows development, everything that you can possibly imagine. Syncfusion is amazing. You can check them out for yourself at syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. You can take a look at uh, their full suite of 850 plus components that you can get completely for free as an individual developer. Uh, As long as you're making less than a million dollars, you're completely for free, kind of like the Visual Studio Community Edition. And after that, if you're at a huge enterprise, you need these controls and charts, there's one flat annual fee um, starting at about $4,000, which is awesome. But if you're an indie developer, guess what? It's all free for you. Go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn more. Thanks, Syncfusion. <sighs> yes, thanks, Syncfusion. I love them. I love them so much. Um, so, okay, so let's get back to the... I thought I thought I'd say something positive about Windows because <laughs> I've been going off on a tangent there. Um, the reason I actually first started using Xamarin in the first place was because I noticed that while I was writing an app, an iOS app, you know, using Xcode, using Objective-C at the time, I found that I, the apps needed a lot of data and I had to do a lot of data processing for stuff to ship with the app. And I, w- I needed tools to generate that data, to collect the data, to manipulate it, all that stuff. And I started writing all those tools in Windows Forms, WinForms, you know, the old tech, Win32, mm-hmm. but using C Sharp on Windows. And I did that because it's an amazingly productive development environment, actually. It's the old VB model. It's the old Delphi model of uh, rapid application development, where there's a lot of dragging and dropping, and you're just adding things to a form and changing visibility. No one's talking about IOC containers. No one's talking about abstractions. It's just write the stupid app and get it over with. And it's an amazingly productive environment. And so I wanted to be able to merge my tools code with my actual app code. And so it was this Windows world that I actually did want to uh, bring over into my apps. Yeah, you know, I've always been a Windows developer and a Windows fanboy myself. And I think for a long time, I got really I got really mad because to me, it's a, sometimes it's about the hardware uh, and the laptops mm-hmm. and the Mac world have always been better. And then the Surface laptops and Surface books have come out in the world and they've been a lot prettier, a lot better. There's something that I'm like, 
I'm not only just proud to walk around with, but they're also powerful enough that I can do real dev work on. But yeah, I think the productivity in Windows and Visual Studio specifically, I mean, it's the best IDE ever created. It's the best. You know, Visual Studio for Mac is newer still. Even Xamarin Studio before that, Mono Develop before that. They've been around for a while, yes. Mm -hmm. But Visual Studio itself is like the best IDE. It does absolutely everything. And when I'm doing any project, I am... I'm just so crazy productive. I mean, the Rosalind integration, the refactoring integration, I mean, the, our new um, freaking dot editor config, it <laughs> blows my mind. Like, it cleans up my code. Like, I just put it in there. And I feel as though Visual Studio 2017 is always just, like, a little bit ahead of any any other IDE in the world, yeah. right? Like, I'm even Xcode may do some really cool things, or Android Studio, like, little tweaks here, very specific, but it's the most general um, IDE. And by that, I mean, you can literally do anything in it. I mean, you can open it and just use it as a text editor, right? Um, and it, and it's going to be great. You can do JavaScript development. You can do basically anything in it, which is amazing. And I think as a C-sharp .NET developer, I love just Visual Studio. I love having 20,000 instances of it open and like across all these <laughs> oh, screens. Right. And, you know, I mean, okay, maybe like four instances at, at max. <laughs> but I mean, but, you know, I, I like that productivity workspace where I just feel really good about how windows works and interacts with um with visual studio itself and like there's some really silly things like for instance i download some um, icons from the android asset studio and they dump out into a resource file well i just go and i highlight all the folders and i drag and drop them into the resources and it like visual studio merges it together oh i can kind of i can't actually do that in vs for mac it doesn't quite do it what i have to do is right click (laughs) add files from folder go find the folder and do this stuff right i feel as though I'm way more productive when I am, just in a general terms, not for mobile development, just general terms, I'm more productive in the world of Windows of, of how the windowing system works and how the actual file explorer works uh, um, together in the IDE. I just feel as though I'm very comfortable in that environment and it makes me feel good. When when I go over to a Mac, I'm just like, I don't know where anything is at. Like, where is this thing? Like, how do like for a good example is like I open the finder and I'm like, how do I get to my, like my James Montemagno folder? Like that's my name. And like, I don't know how to get there because I see all my files no one ever wants to see all my files said anyone ever in the world. And I go to my documents and guess what? That's not where my GitHub folder is at. My GitHub is under James Montemagno slash GitHub, not James Montemagno slash documents. Right. So like, I don't, like, I know I could pin it. I'm just not that smart. You know what I mean? Um, FYI though, this goes both directions because I feel super comfortable in the Mac finder. And when I go to windows, all those virtual libraries, all those picture folders, all those like sweet moments under the sun folders, I don't know what they're doing, but there's just folders I've never thought of or created in my life sitting over in that bar. And so I think what we're both talking about is just the default experience that Apple and Microsoft are kind of pushing down your throat because you can go in and customize it yeah put in your put in your root user folder put in the real projects folder all that stuff yeah. uh, <laughs> so that the pain really goes both ways there on the side of window management I am going to go 100% on the Mac side here I think this is one thing that Windows developers find tricky when going on the Mac is while they both are GUIs, big big GUI window-based things, they do behave very differently. And that is on Windows, every window you see is generally a process. Uh, in the old days, we used to do multi-window Windows apps, but they're not so common anymore. Basically, one window, one process. If a window is misbehaving, you kill the process, it goes away. The Mac has always had a different philosophy, and that is one process, multiple windows. And so when I switch over to Xcode, I can switch between 10 different 
Xcode windows, all of which are first-class big main windows that can control lots of things. Whereas back of files on Windows, I would actually have five Visual Studio processes or something like that to make that happen. And so it's just a somewhat philosophical difference, but it really manifests in how you use the machine. And I just watching new users, that seems to be the biggest hang-up point in that switch. But for me, I've totally switched to the Mac way. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to, I guess, what you're comfortable with at some point, you know, um, which is which is interesting in a way. And I think over time, you basically um, will become more comfortable. And, and over time, I got more comfortable sure. working on a Mac and things like that. And I want to say that I think these little things of Windows management, they do come back to how comfortable you are. And I think to really be a cross-platform developer, guess what? You're going to have to really have both, right? I mean, that's kind of the, yeah. the end all. And, and I don't want to say yeah. that, but like you have to, you choose and pick what you want, right? Because let's say Frank wants to do WinForms development. Guess what? He's mm-hmm. not doing that on a Mac. I mean, he may be mm-hmm. doing it on a Mac inside of a boot camp, <laughs> but you know, you're doing that inside of Windows. And I think if someone asked me today and they said, James Montemagno, they said, I need to buy a Mac or a PC. What do I buy? And I said, well, what kind of development are you doing, right? Yeah. I think if I was creating my own startup and all I was ever going to create was just iOS and Android applications, guess what? I'm going to buy a Mac because it's going to be super productive. Guess what? Those A Mac is the most native platform for doing iOS and probably Android development. If you mm-hmm. think the core of what you know a, an Android device is, I guess it's Linux, but you know a Unix-based yeah. type system, it, and I'm not going to use Linux because I'm not... But that's, not not, that's not my world. I'm not going <laughs> to not not diminish Linux to anyone. I just, it's not my world. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it. Um, um, but like, I would feel really productive doing all of my iOS and Android work right there. And I know that Visual Studio mm-hmm. for Mac is maybe not as, doesn't have all the full features of Visual Studio 2017, but it's a pretty gosh darn great IDE, especially when you combine it with Visual Studio for code, for code editing. Like it's bananas and super good. Um, and I think for me, I've always felt really comfortable saying like, okay, I know the next piece of hardware, the next thing like that, like data recovery on a Mac is like always really good, like with Time Machine. So like these things combined makes me feel real comfortable if I had to buy one machine and that was it, right? But realistically, I have to have two machines, three machines mostly. Like I have my I have my travel <laughs> MacBook, I have my work my workhorse uh, MacBook Pro, and then I have my Surface Book. And guess what? I also have a tower PC that when I'm really doing serious, crazy work or gaming, I'm gonna do that on my PC, which has 32 gigs of RAM. You know what I mean? And is a, is a power uh, a power horse. So I, I think for me, it's like if I'm doing core iOS and Android work, guess what? Literally, the best tools in the entire world are gonna live already on the Mac, including Xcode. So why put these things in the way and I know a lot of people are saying, well, I'm a Windows person. That's all I'm ever going to use. Well, guess what? We do have great tools for Visual Studio 2017. Mm -hmm. I use them a lot because I actually spend about 80% of my time inside of Windows. I may not sound like it from this conversation, but (laughs) I do do cross-platform library creation, right? My NuGet packages have nearly 4 million downloads. And guess what? Nearly most of those platforms are not um, iOS or Android. They're mostly Windows. Like I support all the Windows flavors, you know? So I'm always over there. Well, it's important to remember, Windows basically had a monopoly for like 10 years or something like that. And there is just a lot of software out there still that doesn't run on the Mac, period, like just full stop. And so if I want to run some apps out there, honestly, I have to, I maintain a Windows machine basically for that. 
Also, going going back to what you said before, um, not only do you kind of have to learn how to use both Mac and Windows, but if you are writing cross-platform software, I think you actually have to internalize the rules that we were talking about before, too, like the difference between the Windows managers, uh, the window managers, and things like that. It's as an app as a cross-platform app developer you have two choices you can be like the web app people where everyone gets the same exact ui and you're just say deal with it or you can cater your app to the specific operating system and i think that that's usually the best way to go because no one wants to run a mackie feeling app on windows and vice versa um I, you just uh, seeing seeing Word and Excel on Mac is still a little bit of a <laughs> a weird thing, even though they've been around forever. It's still kind of weird to see. <laughs> yeah, every time I open up PowerPoint on a Mac, I'm like, nah, I mean, huh, do I, eh. you know, <laughs> where where are the things at? Like, where, where where how do I get out of presenter mode? Like, how am I, you know? Uh, they put um, the ribbon on though. That's that's the real cognitive dissonance. There is seeing the Microsoft ribbon on a Mac, and you're like, oh wow, <laughs> on an <laughs> iPad like platform. Oh, is it? Yeah, you're right. It's they're kind mm-hmm. of. Hmm. Oh yeah, they they have they. It, it's it's real. It's actually really good. The Microsoft Office Suite on iPad is actually pretty phenomenal. I was on an airplane last night. Uh, a Southwest. Big shout out to Southwest. They saved my butt last night getting to Vegas um, for our big internal conference. Um, and I saw someone on an iPad ginormous. Oh, you're, awesome. You're, they and they <laughs> were using Super Pro. <laughs> iPad Super Pro, and when that, when I first saw it, and I, I go, this should really, this should really be like um, uh, uh, iOS versus Mac OS versus Windows for core development. Um, and uh, he was just doing like you know Netflix and and Outlook, but like on Outlook, like I think it was almost best on iPad. I swear, yeah. like it, it looks beautiful. And I saw this device, and I go, is that an iPad Pro? It's so big because I haven't <laughs> seen it in a while. Like anyone carrying it around, but, in a like, while, especially. <laughs> Out in the wild is ginormous, and this dude was loving. Then he like booted up San Andreas, like you know Grand Theft Auto, and I was like, oh man, oh, I was, I was, it was so washed cool. out, and so it did not, it did not scale properly, you know. Good. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, sometimes there's just too many pixels. Um, yeah, so it's uh, you know for a game it can be right. I mean, if it's not going to scale correctly, but um, I will say this. There is sometimes simplicity or beauty in simplicity. And I think that's sometimes what Mac OS offers me where by default it, it's in like easy mode and then you can put it in hard mode. Like I, I turn on those commands to show me all the hidden folders. I know all the, the control and hot keys, to like show me all the special things like, you know, that you can like hit the, what is it? The alt button. Yeah. So if you hold down option and then hit your Wi-Fi thing. It actually shows you everything in line right there. You know that, right? Oh, I love that trick. Yeah, yeah. All those icons in your top menu bar. And this is actually a general rule in all apps, all menu commands in all apps, is if you press and hold the option key and click that menu, you'll pretty much get a different menu. This ha- this works in the file menu. This works in lots of different menus. Um, and it's and it's a philosophical thing also. Like Windows would just show you those items, but um, disabled. Right. So, so you won't yeah, be able to click on exactly. them. You would know that they're there. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, what's I wanna, interesting. I want to go back. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to digress about simplicity, well, but. Oh, me too, because I wanted to go back to the iPad where you mentioned that um, these 
these Microsoft apps on the iPad feel kind of nice because they've been kind of whittled down to their core essence. And <laughs> that, this has turned into an iPad talk. That is why I do love it also. Um, these apps are 8,000 years old and they've accumulated every feature that every user has ever complained about. And the truth is you don't need most of those. That was the idea behind the ribbon, even though they went on a crazy course and totally forgot what they were doing. That was the idea is we're just going to expose the commands that most people use as big giant buttons and make it super easy. And But that process has continued on with uh, the tablet UIs and the iPad, and eventually with UWP. So this is one part where I think Windows is getting ahead of Mac in that they've been integrating their two operating systems. They're not two anymore, but their touch-based operating system and their normal mouse-driven and keyboard operating system. And people have complained because it really has turned <laughs> Windows into this weird uh, conglomerate of different things. But at the same time, OS X is not moving at all. They're keeping it purely mouse and keyboard. And I just have to wonder if Microsoft is making the right move here and Apple is not. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, the amount of input that you have on these different devices um, is really interesting. I actually just bought a new mouse recently. And when mm -hmm. I talk about input is specifically is that I, I can actually use my Mac devices 100% without a, a mouse. I have to have a mouse on Windows. Like I carry around a travel mouse with me. Like I cannot use the trackpads. Whether that's the trackpads, I think it's a combination of trackpad plus uh -huh. operating system because sure. literally the trackpad is not only great on MacBooks, but also the how the operating system interacts. It, it was like the operating system was built for the trackpad in, in a way. It was, it was weird to kind of think of where over here it said, well, we're going to take a trackpad and we're going to simulate a mouse where I think it's just different. Like I, I know I'm just like, oh, you know, obviously, obviously, you know, I'm just going to hold down the control button right now and just two finger swipe to go in and I'm going to zoom in. I have accessibility <laughs> or when I'm in Visual Studio for Mac, I can hold down a different button and two or three finger swipe and I uh, increase the fonts and all this stuff. It's like, oh, I just know how that works around Windows. I'm like, I, don't do that. Uh, um, tools options. <laughs> tool, tools options. Like, let me find that option somewhere. But um, one thing that uh, is really interesting is that the touchscreen on a PC uh, as an additional uh, input that I don't uh, use that often. Sometimes I do miss like my screen. I, if you look at my Mac is all, <laughs> all just fingerprints. That's how you know it, that's a Windows uh, user using a Mac. <laughs> or an iPad user. My screen is covered in fingerprints. It's disgusting. I, I disgust myself. But at the same time, I desperately desperately wish apple would release a macintosh that with a touchscreen on it my friend just bought this uh new new computer and he actually runs linux on it he's one of those weirdos but his stupid touchscreen works in linux linux has a touchscreen where you can scroll things and i don't oh, wow. have it in mac and it's killing my soul i can understand microsoft getting ahead you know like i said they're integrating the two things but linux <laughs> he can do something in linux i can't do that just makes me mad oh man what about just other productivity things that you use on a mac or on a pc mm -hmm. that, that you found nifty that you may want to just give shout outs to as far as like say like this is one of the core reasons i use this operating system Oh, it's a toughie. Um, I I'm going to throw a few things out there. Um, one is just a multi-desktop. If you haven't gotten used to how to do a multi-desktop lifestyle, it's pretty nice. You don't use it like a multi-monitor. You don't like, if I'm using two apps, I don't put them on two different desktops. That would drive you insane. <laughs> just the animation switching between them will drive you insane. But 
for creating actual workspaces, like this is kind of my communications workspace. This is my getting stuff done workspace. I, I kind of like it for that because it hides away all the mail and the Slack and the Twitter. They just go off the screen all in one giant swipe. So I, I do love that. I think, <clears throat> again, just being a Unix world, and I do know that Windows, I guess, in its creators update and all the, all the newest ones, you can actually install Unixes, uh, Linuxes on there. But just having it baked into the OS, the fact that I can just go download some 1970s software, run dot slash configure, run make, and it all just kind of works is it's lovely. And that's what drew me to it. I really do have these two hearts where one part of me wants to do WinForms programming in Visual Basic. Like that's really where I believe application development should be. But then the nerd geeky part of me loves the command line and can live there. So I'll use I use pretty much everything in the command line, to be honest. I'm one of the, I'm a grepper, I'm a setter. I, I even do some awk when I remember the syntax from time to time. <laughs> and, and I run, you know, Python scripts all the time. I write scripts in bash all the time. And so it's just, it's these old level, old school tools that I just constantly use, to be honest. That makes sense. I think for me, sometimes it's the, familiarity of different things like you said like a lot of things are just only available on windows or just like i've always been using it on windows and i never thought like oh maybe this other thing exists over here you know um it's hard i feel like i live in a pretty good you know state in 2017 where i can actually do almost everything on both devices right i can use um, office on both i use filezilla on both i have um I use um, VS you know, Code Chrome? all the time now, even on Linux. On so now I have oh, this yeah. IDE everywhere, and that's kind of lovely. Code editor everywhere, not nine. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we'll, we'll save that for a whole uh, nother episode. <laughs> um, it, it actually lives side by side my Visual Studio icon because I've been doing a lot of um, working on a new website. I can't tell anyone about um, just yet. I'm very excited about it, um, but. Yeah, it's coming soon. It's coming along. I have some friends working with me and I'm, I'm really spending a lot of time doing a lot of investigation of JavaScript and HTML and things like that. And yeah, VS Code is unbelievable. And it's great because it literally works nearly identical on each. I will say there's a Windows perk, though, yeah. is that and maybe I'm wrong and you can <laughs> yell at me later, but I can go to any folder and I can say right click open with code on that folder. And I can't wow. do that on a Mac. Well, the command like, oh. line, you can type code, code space dot. That means open this folder. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then we're back down to the terminal. There we go. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, I mean, there's th- th- that's what I kind of like about this is mm-hmm. what's best for you. What do you feel most comfortable with, right? But the problem at the same time, remember, is like if you're doing iOS work, you should really just have a Mac, to be honest with you. I mean, let's just be honest. You should really just have one. Like, I, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like, I know you really like Windows, and I really like Windows too. But honestly, yeah. I can actually finish my app about a hundred times faster. Maybe um, not a hundred. That's a large number, but yeah. I can finish my app so much faster because I'm on a Mac. Because I'm the tools are there, right? Like, it compiles, it launches, it's so much faster. I literally rewrote the entire user interface for the Xamarin Live Player, like on an airplane, one trip, right? And <laughs> and, and like, I, I, it looks, I'm going to share this move, move file with you. I will That's say though, I wish QuickTime that would get rid of move files. Like let's M- MP4 this <laughs> thing or whatever. Like, stop with these proprietary territory QuickTime formats. Anyways, I digress. See, there's uh, some things like they got the Apple lock-in, I will say. There's that Apple lock-in sometimes. What's the lock? Uh, well, okay, well, QuickTime, that, that was a good example. That, that's one of those apps that doesn't ship on Windows that's 
fantastic. Uh, it can do screen recordings. It can do a very minor video editing and all that. And Microsoft has tried over the years. I mean, they, they killed that one awesome movie making app that they had in the original the Windows Movie Maker. Yes. Oh, that thing was awesome. And they replaced it with garbage over the years since then. But, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll keep trying. But it's yeah. a lot of these little apps that add up the, the, the way that you can access the clipboard through the terminal. Um, mm. Uh, I'm blanking, but there's just so many of these little apps that I love. For, oh, for the, the for color the, thing, the, yeah. the the color tool. You can just get a little window up. What do they call it? Color key or the something color, like the that. Digital. You mean the the digital color meter, which yes. is one of my favorite things. That one. Yes. Yeah. So you just yes. put this little app pretty, on, and then it just it does a little zoom in view of your mouse and tells you what color everything is. It's great for ripping off other people's colors. It's the best. Exactly. <laughs> or when you're working with designers and they don't give you the actual RGB colors that you need because you need <laughs> to implement them on the plane and you don't have internet, so you can't. You know, guess what? Boom! There it is. Happens all the time. Um, <laughs> All right, Frank, I want to get into some listener feedback. I want to oh, first know, people can definitely get to us and say, hey, listen, um, get, let us know what your, your, what your mo- most productivity suite is, iOS, um, you know, Mac, PC. What are you using? What extensions are you using? We didn't even get into that. I think this has just been a really high-level kind of James versus Frank talk, but it's good. <laughs> it's good. Um, I wanted, there's only one listener feedback. There's a lot of listener feedback. There's one that I want to kind of address in the, in the short time that we have before we wrap up is... Uh, Joseph Joshua Lamkin, uh, J Lamkin four two one on Twitter, uh, started up a conversation with me because he was listening to episode forty nine, which I don't even know what episode that was. That was before episode fifty. Um, that is our the magic of MVVM, one of our most popular oh, episodes. Oh yes, that's right. And uh, he, he, there was uh, he said that I misspoke about the use case review models on Android because I remember. Google's introducing new view models. I was just at AndDevCon and there was a session called Architecture in Android and it's all about using view models. And here's the problem. When you call your session at Google I.O. and other conferences, like the architecture patterns in Android and you introduce things called view models, guess what? You're talking about MVVM as an architectural pattern for application development. So Joshua argued that no, that is not the case. And what the view models in Android are really for is for lifecycle issues and keeping track of interactions and updates. So when things are visible, they get updated. And yes, the idea of the view model is that the view model is aware of the lifecycle state. So you can update things and things can go into the background. And when they come back, it will finish that task. Um, And yes, we already have this. We already have this in, in the world of... Uh, well, sure, but this is this is a gross abuse of terms. Like, this is not view model has not been a new word in the like two years. It's been around for you know five or ten years. So it's a little weird for them to adopt a lifecycle management class and call it a view model. But, yeah, that that's kind of the problem that I have. And uh, I was sitting side by side, uh, Jeremy Laval, as we were in this session and he's like, oh, we already have this in .NET. It's called async away, like activities <laughs> and tasks. And so he, what he did is he created this. It was the idea that they're scoping things. So the idea is that this the scope knows that when you're updating, that if it's gone into the background, don't update mm-hmm. until it comes back and it can hang on to it. So um, I'm going to link in the show notes. It'll be like the only link that we have is called lib activity task where essentially what you can do is when you start up your Android activity, you create a scope of this activity and you pass that into your, I don't know, whatever method that you want. So there's this activity scope. So you can do something like, 
make a network call and then do something in the background and then come back and you can await and you can do all this stuff and it'll handle everything for you automatically. It's like, but this isn't new. Like we didn't have to re architect a new pattern or anything. And in fact, if you look at his example, it really has nothing to do with MVVM because guess what? <laughs> it doesn't really have anything to do with MVVM. But I think what, you know, what, what, uh, what Joshua was trying to say is that he said uh, specifically, um, where was it at? He goes, it, it is, it's not a view model. It's just named awfully. <laughs> and that's great. If it's, if it's not a view model, then don't call it a view model, you know, in general. <laughs> but I, I still do think that they are essentially encouraging in, in the long terms of it. And I'm going to clarify this. They're encouraging the MVVM architecture pattern because a few years ago when I was at Google IO, they actually have a Gradle build step for data binding, which still exists. I think uh. I still think it's in preview. My assumption here is that next year at Google I.O., they're going to push it even further. It says, hey, you've now adapted this view model thing. Well, guess what? You've now put all your business logic in this thing. Guess what? Your views can now directly bind to these view models, right? And it'll just be mm-hmm. part of the system or something like that. This is my f- forward thinking because what they did is they introduced data binding without explaining MVVM at all. And that <laughs> was the problem. <laughs> I'm going to go with conspiracy theory. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah okay. Um, uh, I don't have much to add to this because I'm not an Android developer, but I will say it's curious that in the beginning, all your code went into the activity class. So it was basically a controller, your activity. Mm-hmm. And then they said, these are bad. Let's do it in fragments. So then the fragment become became your controller class. Now it seems they're like, no, no, don't do that because that doesn't get lifecycle stuff. Now implement this lifecycle class. And so as a general thing, I want to say it's 2017 and oh my God, we're still trying to figure out how to do background tasks like Android. Come on, baby. This is what you were supposed to be better at than iOS. And like iOS kind of fixed this a few versions ago. (laughs) So come on, Android, get your act together. But that's great info. (laughs) <laughs> it's getting it. And I want to say a lot of feedback really came in this week of just a lot of congratulations on the one year. A um, lot of so many beautiful, wonderful comments. Awesome. Amazing reviews on iTunes. Uh, I just oh. got an email, a summary. There was like seven new reviews, um, all five stars. Just uh, We love reading it. I know we don't read them back on the podcast very often, but we read, we get notifications when you guys leave um comments on itunes tweets i love i love seeing Mm -hmm. the tweets so thank you for those so let us know you can find us in many ways all over the internet at merge conflict fm uh, is our twitter merge conflict.fm is the website search for merge conflict uh, on your favorite podcast application and subscribe and if you're using apple podcasts leave that review it'd be lovely we would love you for absolutely ever um, if you want some Merge Conflict stickers, we still have a shop that's still available. We're still selling those puppies, um, and people are loving them. I love seeing the tweets come in of actual like laptops and different devices oh, yeah. with the stickers on it. That's some of our favorites. Um, I don't know. Anything else to add there, Frank? No, I think we've started enough fights for this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Until next week, this is Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.